Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I've been excited about this episode for a while. My guest today is Andrew Bright, and he is actually a comedian. He is with the Panic Squad improv team, and I met him at a conference, you'll hear about it, in Seattle earlier this year, and we were talking at lunch, and I just thought, man, I would love to... Just sit down and pick your brain about comedy. So we did a little bit, but what was really interesting is uh, how much the rules of improv, which I've always been interested in, are actually great rules of leadership. So it was a bit of a su- set of surprise insights that came my way during this interview. So I think you're going to love it. It's just going to make you a better team leader, and uh, you'll enjoy that. By the way, we've got enhanced show notes today. Uh, Andrew actually included an entire blog post. Uh, super helpful, very well done, and you can find everything today at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 102, so you're definitely going to want to check that out. He shares uh, really five insights that are a little bit different from what he shares verbally in the show about how you can lead your team better based on the rules of improv. And if that makes no sense to you right now, I promise you at the end of this episode, it completely will. I'm a better leader because of it. So anyway, that's all in the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 102. And speaking of team, how you doing? I know a ton of listeners, kind of you are the team, right? Or maybe you're just thinking about creating a team or you don't have a whole lot of money to create a team. That's why I'm so grateful for the sponsorship of EA Help on this podcast. I promise you, as a leader, I am nothing without my team. In fact, if my team was to fall apart, this podcast goes away like next week, just disappears because I can't do what I do. I can't write. I can't teach. I can't lead. I can't speak without a team. And at the core of my team is a great assistant. And for the last few months, I've been using EA Help. It's been a fantastic relationship with EA Help. And I'll tell you, it's essential (laughs) to be able to lead. And you might be able to start small with five hours a week or 10 hours a week or seven hours a week, or you might not even be sure you can afford it or number one, that you need it. Um, Can I just let you know about a website that EA Help put together for you? It's free. Just go to eahelp.com slash free resources. And they have things like a delegation matrix tool, which will tell you what you could possibly delegate away, even a few hours a week. That, That could help tremendously to free you up to do what you do best. Plus, they have lots of other things, tips on social media, uh, that you can get absolutely free. I mean, they've got close to a dozen resources for free for leaders. Um, all about like proactivity, um, administrative task calculator, how much help do you really need, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just go to eahelp.com slash free resources. And if you end up hiring from EA Help, tell them Carrie sent you, okay? Make sure you do that. It's uh, they're, they're a great organization. And I want to thank them for being a sponsor of the podcast. And also want to thank uh, Enjoy Stewardship, who is doing a great job delivering my blog these days via email. They're a sponsor there. Um, if you don't get my blog via email, you can sign up today at kerryneuhoff.com. Enjoy really, really helps church leaders find funding to fund their mission. So you want to make sure you check it out. And then finally, hey, I know a lot of you are already reaching out. It's like, man, 
I can't wait to connect on the Orange Tour. Neither can I. I'm going to be in about a dozen cities. You can get all the details at orangetour.org. And it would be so fun to connect and talk about the next generation. Plus, anybody who comes to the Orange Tour stops where I am going to be this fall will get advanced access to a course that I'm releasing later this year. It's called The High Impact Leader. It's about how to get time, energy, and priorities working on your side. It's exclusively available on the Orange Tour this fall. Uh, you can get it at any stop, but I will be talking about it, obviously, at the stops where I'm present. So uh, it all kicks off in Atlanta, September 9th. Hope you're going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you'll get some advanced access. And then everybody else will tell you about it in November, December. It's going to be amazing. But hey, some really fun stuff coming up. And in the meantime, make sure that you get over to the show notes today to see the amazing resources that Andrew Bright has released. Plus, he's got a brand new book too on the subject of leadership and what improv can teach you about team dynamics. So without further ado, here's my conversation with comedian Andrew Bright. Well, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. This started at a conversation at a conference you and I were both at in Seattle, right? Yeah, yeah. We were at the uh, Northwest Ministry Conference in Seattle, Washington, and happened to be bumping into each other in the green room, and it was a very enjoyable lunch. Yeah, it was great. Really interested to hear what you did, and I've always been interested in comedians. Like, I always wanted to be funnier than I actually am, so to be able to have lunch with you and see what you do as well, I think you guys um, were on before me and you're part of the panic squad, right? Which is something you've done for a little while. Yeah. About 20 years. Actually, we just crossed the 20 year mark, uh, in the summer. So man, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's been an amazing, uh, terrifying and very rewarding ride. Okay. So tell me all about that. Like, what do you do? What is the panic squad? What is improv comedy? Yeah. And why do you do it? How'd you get into it? Sure. It is the panic squad improv comedy. We are an improv comedy team. Uh, we travel all over the U S and Canada, uh, performing clean improv comedy. Most of our audience are churches. I would say about 75% is church related, whether it's a pastor's conference, a volunteer outreach event or a community outreach event, volunteer appreciation banquet. Uh, the other 20 to 25% are colleges, corporate events, and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I got into it. I've always been a funny kid. Um, yeah. I, I am a horrible singer. I come from a musical family. My mom and dad can sing and play the piano. Uh, my brother can sing and play several instruments. My sister can sing, and, and uh, I, I fear that I may have been adopted. Uh, singing is not a <laughs> gift. And this, this all came down to, you know, there was a defining moment in my childhood where we were around the piano, and I was singing a solo. It was, uh, it was He's Still Working on Me by Bill and Gloria Gaither, which I thought was pretty appropriate. And my mom kept stopping the piano and she'd say, Andrew, stop goofing around. I want you to try. And, and I wasn't. And now to her credit, I was prone to goofing off, but I wasn't this time. Right. I was trying my best. And I just didn't have it. Finally, my dad, he, <laughs> he puts his hands on my mom's shoulders and he says, Lois, I believe he is trying his best. And my mom <laughs> with this wide look and suddenly this reality crashed into her world that my son cannot sing. And, uh, and that, was, that was a defining moment for us. And I was off the hook. Charades, however, were a different story. Uh, my family okay. also played charades. And I crushed it. Uh, when my mom would read Bible stories to us as a kid, uh, she would let me get up and I would act out the story. I would be all the characters, male and female. I would be the animals and the inanimate objects. And I just loved to uh, make people laugh and to 
act things out. And it's, it's part of how God wired me. It's part of who I am. And uh, in college, I went to Trinity Western University on your side of the border. Uh, That's right. See? Yeah. And uh, there was an improv league there. And, and that was the first time I saw improv comedy. Man, here were these guys and girls up on stage just going for it, grabbing suggestions from the audience and then creating something out of nothing. And there was something that clicked with me. It just fit with how I was wired. Isn't that interesting? So improv, you are always a bit of a clown. And I'm sure there's a lot of people, you know, who are now in business or ministry or whatever listening who are like, yep, that was me, but never really did anything with it other than, you know, you're a lot of fun at parties. So, um, but you, you got, you got the improv bug. Now I've always been interested in comedy Mm -hmm. and improv really fascinates me. And I know there's like these rules and everything. So can you just give us like improv 101? What is improv? Yeah. What makes it different? Yeah. And and even start to walk us through some of the rules. Yeah, you know, improv is amazing. It is the most spontaneous, organic form of improv there is. There is no script. Uh, there is hmm. no plan. There are not roles in improv. You simply grab a suggestion from the audience and you go. Uh, you shout out, hey, what's something you do on the weekend? Rob a bank, says the audience. All right, what are two accents from around the world? Russian, Scottish. And now you're doing a scene about robbing a bank uh, with Russian and Scottish accents. And it's it's a ton of fun. And you just you just go for it, right? Um, and that's that's what improv is. And so what matters is you have to know how to work as a team so that you can succeed in the moment. If you practice succeeding in any situation, then suddenly the situation doesn't matter. And so you become experts at teamwork. You become experts at knowing when to lead and when to yield. And then when you're doing the show, uh, you just roll with it. And it's this beautiful organic thing that's created with the audience. And so as far as rules, um, the first thing to know, it's not necessarily a, a rule, but you can't do improv alone. Uh, improv, okay, that was my next question. Like, can you do, like, you stand-up comedians are always solo acts, yeah. right? But Im- improv, never? Well, uh, I did once, uh, but that's because the uh, immigration would not let two of my guys across the border. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. And so, and so I was stuck, and, and, you know, the show must go on, and so I did it, and it was, it was, uh, it went all right. But improv should be done, should be done as a team. And yeah, it's, it's like not. How many on the team? Two people, three, four, five? There what? are 10 actors on the Panic Squad roster. We perform in teams of two and three. Oh, okay. Yeah. So probably the best example or one that almost everybody would know, one of my favorite shows from the last 20 years, Whose Line Is It yes. Anyway? Um, man, I'll tell you, that stuff would almost make me literally roll on the floor yes. laughing. Uh-huh. It was great. Other examples of improv in the culture that people would know just to get us, get our bearings. Sure. That's probably a well-known example, yeah. right? Drew so, Carey so hosted that, is, that. That is the most well-known example. When that show came on the air, uh, my definition of improv, when, when a client would call, it went from this long explanation of what improv is to, have you seen Whose Line Is It Anyway? It's that, but it's clean. Uh, and so right. th- that helped us a lot. Um, theater sports is a well-known improv genre. They have a lot of it in Canada and in the U.S. There's a, a great theater sports scene here in Seattle area. And that's uh, – it's improv competition. So you've got two teams and you're judged actually by how well you act and how well you put different elements into the scene. Uh, oh, really? So is that comedy or is it acting? Yeah, it's comedy. It's, oh, it is comedy. Okay. So theater sports. Yeah, theater sports. Did not know what that meant. Yeah. Okay. There it is. It's a it's a judged, but it's still for the audience. Judging is just kind of a fun element of it. Um, 
in semi-scripted acting, there's shows like The Office um, that started in Britain, and then there's also The Office version that it was in the U.S. So was that only semi-scripted, really? Yeah, for sure. I didn't know that. I did not. I mean, the early seasons of The Office were just killer. I mean, that was a family activity for us. Yeah. And so it's like you walk in with half a script and you just riff off of it. Yeah, so that's that's a genre of comedy where um, the actors know the, the, the direction they want to go. And some of it is scripted, but there's also some flexibility there for the actors that just kind of to go with it, right? And then there's wow. also uh, one thing that became popular with that too is that idea of breaking the third wall, right? So the characters are looking at the camera and acknowledging the camera there as well, right? Because it's got this right. documentary feel to it, right? So that was pretty innovative. Yeah. Back, you know, 12, 13 years ago when The Office started. Yeah. So is it true, like, not that you know everything about Hollywood, but like Will Ferrell, he often just riffs and like is completely unscripted. Uh, I think Robin Williams is known to have done that. Yes. Like, half of the good stuff was never in the script to begin with. Right. Right. Wow. And a lot, okay. a lot of key actors today have an improv background. And it's funny, you know, I used to try out for scripted plays when I was in high school and I didn't get a part mm. because I couldn't stick to the script. Just the way that uh, my brain worked, I would be going along and then I would think, hey, this will be funny. And uh, directors don't like it when you go off script in an audition. Uh, <laughs> and so I didn't get parts. And then I got an improv and, and in improv, I really began to hone my skills in creating deep characters and learning how to work with others on stage. Uh, and then as I got back into scripted acting a little bit, I started getting parts because improv is this great crash course in theater and, and how to create story. All right. So communicators, listen up. I mean, this is kind of what I'm saying to you, as I say to every guest before this podcast, look, I'm going to ask you some questions yeah. that probably are not on script. I'm an off-the-cuff guy. I'm right. not a manuscript preacher. I mean, I started that way, and there's a few things I will script really carefully, but I can't be. I do bullet points, mm -hmm. and then I don't want to say I wing it because I've thought about it a lot, but like if you try to put a word-for-word -word script in front of me, mm -hmm. I'm going to sound really wooden. Yeah. Um, and it probably goes back to radio, which is all improv. It's all improv. Law is mostly improv, right? right. When I was in court, it was all improv. Because, I mean, you're just in court, you know, the facts of your case, you got a judge sitting there and you've got to convince the judge that you're right and everybody else is wrong, which I really enjoy doing. <laughs> Drives my wife crazy. But, you know, and, and I always find my best moments in preaching are often the unscripted ones. Yeah. It's not delivering the joke that you thought you were going to deliver. It's like when you say something really funny that just hit you in the moment. Yeah. And so I think a lot of us, just, just to make the application, because I really want to go deep on on improv because mm -hmm. I just I don't know and I'm really curious. Yeah. But I think a lot of us probably deal with that. I guess business meetings would be improv, right? If you're making a pitch to people or you're making a presentation, mm -hmm. um, you're improvising. So okay, yep. so that was improv. Let's go back into the rules yeah. of improv. Number one, it tends to be a team. Yep. It's gotta it's okay. gotta it's got to be a team sport. You cannot rely on yourself. Uh, you know, uh, I will take a team player over a standout star in improv any day because a standout star is going to make it about them and they're going to blow up the scene. And so you're going to lose as a performance and lose as a team. But if you have men and women that are willing to work together and really have the other person's best interest in mind, and then uh, the big goal, have the an excellent performance as the end goal, you're going to support each other. So here are the rules. Uh, the okay. first rule in the improv is you must always say yes to your teammate. Think about okay. it. There's no script. 
There's no plan. There's no direction ahead of time. You start with what in improv we call an ask for. You ask the audience for a suggestion. What's something you'd find in your grandmother's attic? Grandfather. Okay, great. So this is a scene about grandfather, right? Uh, That's all you have. And so for the scene to move forward, you must agree with each other's ideas. So Carrie says, let's go see what's in the attic. And I have a chance now, right? I can agree with you or I can, what's in improv called the block. I can block you. No, I don't feel like that, right? Mm-hmm. So as soon as you block another actor's idea in improv, you've blown up the scene, the momentum has stalled, and you're back to square one. If we want to move forward as an improv team, I must say yes to that idea. So what, okay. here's, a, here's a question for you. Why do you think actors in improv will block another actor's idea? So I say, hey, Carrie, let's go ride bikes. And you say no. Why do you think an actor okay. would do that? Um, I don't know. My guess would be because they don't know how to respond to that. They're feeling inadequate. Yep. You're right. And that's- it's like, I got nothing. I got nothing. I've never ridden a bike since I was five years old. It's, Not true in my case, but right. is that it? Yes, that's a big piece of it. It's fear, right? Mm-hmm. Fear. The reason okay. people block are fear or ego. Fear is that first part. Man, I don't, I don't know how to do a scene about riding a bike. What if I fail? Right. What if I look stupid? So I say no. The other side is ego. Well, that's a dumb idea. Pogo sticks. I got a better idea. Pogo sticks are going to be a better idea. So I shut down mm-hmm. your idea and I force mine. Either way, you're wrecking the scene, right? And so, wow. So in improv, and I would say, you know, in leadership too, so often fear or ego stalls us from moving forward, right? That's uh, so true. It is. You know, I've never done that before. I don't know that kind of ministry. I've never done this kind of event before. So we back away from that. The other side of it is ego, right? That's I'm I'm above that, right? Hmm. I'm too big of a church to do that or I'm too big right. of a leader to get into this, right? I don't ride bikes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Either way, yeah. pick whatever reason you want. The momentum has stopped. And you've gone nowhere, which is a bad wow. place to be, right? To, to go back to like, to whose line is it anyway, one of the things that was really fun as a viewer is you would sometimes see the premise get handed to the other actor. So it might be, you know, grandfather in the attic. So one guy starts and then he sets up the other guy and you can see the other guy's reeling. Uh-huh. Like he's like, oh my gosh, what did you just give me? Yeah. But he goes with it, yep. right? And that's often where the gems are. That's where yes. it gets really funny. Yeah, and that brings us to rule number two is okay. you must contribute to the scene. If, okay. if improv is going to be a team sport and you are on a sport, a team deal, and if you are on the team, you must contribute. So hmm. I give you an idea. You say yes to it, and now you have to give some ideas too. And what happens is fear gets into that, and there's a thing in improv that we call wimping. When an actor wimps, it's they refuse to make a specific choice. And novice or rookie actors have this all the time. What if my idea isn't good enough? So instead of saying, Carrie, it's your birthday. I bought you a chihuahua that I've dyed purple because I know it's your favorite color, right? (laughs) There, There could be, all right, what if the audience thinks that idea is dumb? right? So instead, I back off. And instead of making the specific choice, I say, Carrie, it's your birthday. I got you this. And I leave it to the other actor to define what's going on. So a specific choice in improv is more risky, 
but it's much more rewarding. If there is an entire scene that was, hi, you, here's this. You can put it over there next to that. Now we can go do this. Yes, that would make me feel an emotion of some sort. That is a very safe scene that is absolutely right. boring. So the Yeah, it's not very funny, but the purple chihuahua. Yeah, right? So the more you're willing to risk in a scene, the more chance you have of moving forward and creating something great. Okay, so rule number two, no wimping. Yeah, no wimping. That's, or, that's really or, cool. I wonder in business and leadership, how many times in ministry people wimp out? You got a great idea and you wimp out. Yeah, because what if it's not accepted like I hope it will be? Now, here's, here's the beauty, this right? Good. This is how the two rules work in tandem in improv. Rule number one is always say yes. The opposite of that is no blocking. Rule number two is you must contribute. The opposite of that is no wimping. Here's the reason that I can fearlessly speak out an idea because I know that you're going to say yes to it. Cool. So whatever in improv, whatever my idea is, you're not going to block me and make me feel stupid. You're going to validate it and say, yeah, let's do it and support it. And you also know that when you contribute your idea on top of that, what am I going to do? Oh, you're going you're gonna to say yes and probably make it better. You're going to accept it. Exactly. You're going to validate it. And yeah. so in improv, we're building idea on idea. We're making each other look good. We're validating hmm. each other. Our confidence is through the roof. The audience is enjoying the ride. And we've taken nothing and we've created something great out of it simply because we're willing to risk and say yes to each other. This is fascinating. Really, this is, I mean, I did not know. I didn't even Google. Like, I'm sure I could have Googled the rules of improv, but like, I'm having so much fun right now. Okay, keep going. Well, what's, how many rules are there? Since, and what's since number you're three? having so much fun, let's, let's, let's pause for a minute. Let's try some improv. How do you feel about that? Let's do a little <laughs> okay. bit of on, on air or on podcast improv. I gotta, I gotta follow the rules and say, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, which is why I explained the rules before I ask you to do that. Uh, Good job. So this is an exercise. Aside from for, from performances, uh, we teach improv workshops. So we teach them to other okay. actors. We teach them to church staff and corporations. Uh, one of the simple games we do to teach the improv perspective is a game called Yes And. And all it does is okay. it takes the two first two rules of improv and it helps us do it. So I'm going to give you a very simple suggestion. All right. Okay. Your response, your first two words must always be yes and. So you're following rule number one. You're saying yes to my idea and, and then you contribute your idea. So an example okay. to do on my own is let's go to the mall. Yes and we'll take my car. Then it's back. Okay. Yes and I'll drive. All right. So it's, it's very, very simple. Sure. Are you ready? Okay. Let's play. All right. Let's play. Yep. I'm in. Carrie, let's have a party. Yes, and why don't you invite your three best friends? Yes, and you'll supply all the roast beef. Oh, yes, and I'll do that on my big green egg. Yes, and I'll bring the charcoal for inside the big green egg. Yes, and I'll get Dairy Queen for cake. <laughs> yes, and we can put the Dairy Queen in the big green egg too to see what happens. Yes, and that's a great idea. I have no idea what would happen to ice cream in a 600-degree egg. Yes, and maybe we'll invent a new fat marinade. <laughs> yes, and I would love that. I guarantee you. Great, and that's improv. Okay, that's, that's fun. That was like moderately funny, but you know, as you're setting this up, I just want to go through what's going in my head. I immediately got scared. Sure. 
I immediately, I'm like, oh, I'll be no good at this, or this is public, and this won't be fun or funny. It was moderately funny. Yeah. But, you know, you know, like, it's funny how your fear just kind of wants to take over. Do you find that with most people, Andrew? Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? And that is, you know, that's why we have people do this in the workshops. It's, it's, they realize that it's scary, but I pushed through and, and we did it. And to be honest, it, you know, it was moderately funny, like you said, because uh, we're not both professional actors and people can only hear our voices, right? Take, right. Take that same scene we just did, right? We decide to have a barbecue. We're going to cook the beef and your big green egg. We throw ice cream in there to see what happens at 600 degrees and we invent this brand new uh, extra fatty marinade, right? Yeah. Take an improv team. Add characters, add acting, add visual. If we were to act that on that on stage, it would actually be quite funny. And you, yeah. I, you and I came up with it on our own in a matter of about twenty seconds, without any pre-planning, without any training, just because we were willing to say yes to each other's idea and contribute our own idea on top yeah. of it. So, see, this is taking me from- to brain. This is taking me to brainstorming in meetings. I mean, yeah. I just came off an all-day retreat yesterday with our team at Connexus Church. And, you know, I, you have to be so careful because originally it would be like, you know, oh, well, let's not have beef, let's have chicken. Or, sure. um, no, we want to have a healthy dessert. I don't think there is such a thing. But you know what I mean, yep. right? And yep. so we, we shut down ideas and then people get timid. I mean, we all know this from business, but I think that's really good. Yes, and... Yep. And the opposite and of that, no wimping. Yeah. And the opposite of that is yes, but. And so, you know, if we're doing a corporate workshop, we'd play yeah, yes yeah. and as a group. The next thing we do is we'd play yes, but. It's, it's the exact same game, but instead of saying yes and, it's yes, but. And what you find is where yes and is an aligning exercise, yes, but is a dividing exercise. It's, it mm. feels like one big argument, right? You're, you're constantly trying to bring uh, the focus back to the conversation, but you're but every time you say but, right, it's it, disagreement, right? And so it's fun that in the debrief as we talk about that, so often we have a yes, but perspective as a leader, right? Yeah. Yes, I, I hear Guilty. what you're saying, but. But. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, and sometimes we have a perspective right. of people on our staff where we see that person in the yes, but perspective. And, and maybe it's based on track record. Maybe it's based on professional envy. Maybe it's, it's based on a, a host of reasons. But for some reason, when that person opens their mouth with an idea, uh, we're listening, but we're already hedging mm-hmm. what that person is going to say. Uh, and that's, that's dangerous in improv. In improv, you want to have that yes and mentality. It doesn't mean that you say yes to every idea a person puts out, but it, it's a yes and perspective. Yes, I'm listening and I'm looking for ways I can build on this idea. Sometimes they're not there. So good. Sometimes they're not there. Sometimes it means move left instead of right, but, mm-hmm. but lead your team with a yes and perspective. That's great. Okay. Any other rules? Like Go ahead and take us down that road. You have to be okay with failing in improv mm. because mm. you are going to fail. In fact, in Panic Squad shows, we incorporate shows into or it scenes into the show that guarantee we're going to fail uh, because the audience loves it. We'll do a guessing game uh, and as the actors are guessing, uh, they'll go way off base and the, the audience is dying because we're so far off and we're never going to get it. <laughs> and it's a complete disaster. And then somehow we bring it back and we get it in the end and they come to their feet. We have a game called Letter Drop where uh, we remove okay. the letter R 
from everything that we have to say. And the reason we do R is because according to the Wheel of Fortune game show, it's the most used consonant in the English language. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And so we have to do a scene without saying the letter R. Anytime an actor says the letter R, the audience as a whole has been instructed to buzz them. That person has to leave the scene and they're replaced by another actor. So we could do that safely. I could talk like this and I would never say the letter R. The audience right. would never buzz us and it would be a completely boring scene. The audience wants to buzz. They want to say, bah, and see if- Yeah, they want to catch you. Right. They want to see you fail. Exactly. Yep. And so as actors, we have to attack it. We talk full speed. We try not to say the letter R, but we're going to fail and the audience loves it. The beauty of improv is the audience- understands the deal. They know that we've got a suggestion from them. There's no plan and they're more interested that we take their idea and go for it with everything we have than whether or not every step is planned out beautifully. And so I think- That's really good. I think as leaders, we need to have that. When, when we're leading our staff or we're leading our congregation or we're leading our business, is that inherent grace a part of hmm. leadership style too? Do you understand that- that moving forward and giving it your best shot is more important than being perfect in everything you do. I think you, you've really, I mean, that's probably been the rule of improv for, I don't know, decades, generations, who knows. But um, it's interesting because one of the things, Andrew, that I perceive in leadership is a generation ago, as a leader, there was a lot of pressure to show that you always had it together. Right. In other words, don't let them see a sweat. There's no cracks. And I really think, you know, authenticity, it's almost overused now. But when you look at what people want in a leader, yes, they don't want to know that you're a mess. They don't want to know that, oh my gosh, like you don't know how to help anybody. Yep. But they love it. Like, you know, I was talking to a leader recently, he'll be on this podcast and he was saying one of his most popular messages ever was uh, the worst year in my marriage, mm -hmm. um, where he just talked about it very openly and honestly. Now, it was from a perspective where they were through that season and they could help people. I know for me in the last five years, if you ask people who go to our church or watch our messages online at Connexus Church, probably the two that stick in people's mind is a message that my wife and I did four years ago about how we got through the low point in our marriage. And then when I, I did a couple of years ago where I talked about um, my burnout and my depression yeah. that I ran into 10 years ago, yeah. people admire your strengths, but they resonate with your weaknesses. And I think that's really good, you know, for you as a leader to say, I don't know. I think you're really onto something. This is, mm -hmm. you know, you told me before we started recording, you said, hey, this is as much about leadership as it is about comedy. It really is. But like, this is genius. This is really good. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'll make a commitment. Jessica writes the uh, draft of our show notes. I'll, I'll make sure we write these rules out in the show notes okay. so that leaders can go there. Sure. This is brilliant. I'll make, okay. I'll make it easy for Jessica. I've got it all written out for the different workshops I do. And so I'll just send them to you. That's fantastic. So leaders, you can just go to the show notes at my blog, com. Find them right there. And Andrew, this is this is brilliant. This is gold. You're really challenging me as a leader. Okay, Good. maybe we should stop now. <laughs> we were just like, like, like no but, poster. no but, no but. Yeah. Like you're like you're schooling me, man. Yeah. Okay, so keep going. I mean, you know, keep failure going. failure scares us. But when you think about it, you know, it yeah. was interesting. One of one of my uh, biggest lessons on fear and failure came in a hotel room with the guys after a show. It was late at night. We went back to the hotel room and nothing was on. So we're just flipping channels around with the other guys. And uh, this, this show called Bad Ink was on. And Bad Ink, in a nutshell, uh, people with 
very poorly done or embarrassing tattoos go to these master <laughs> artists and yeah. they they redo it right and here's the thing they don't erase the old horrible tattoos they build mm. over and around them and turn them into these masterpieces and i'm like wow that's that's how as leaders we have to address fear and failure, hmm. right? It's okay. That'll preach, man. Yeah. Well, it's okay to have failure as part of your life. It's okay to have fear a part of your life. You know, th- why are why are roller coasters so popular, right? Uh, you know, you don't see billboards advertising uh, the slowest, safest roller coaster in the country. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, come experience the tranquilizer. Gentle slopes, <laughs> tedious turns. Nothing matches the monotony of the tranquilizer. Buy a day pass and receive a free Snuggie, right? It's, that's not... That's not why we ride roller coasters, right? We ride roller coasters because they're terrifying and exhilarating. I had the chance to uh, watch my my two boys, ages five and six at the time, ride Space Mountain for the first time at Disneyland this summer. Oh, wow. In line – they were getting more and more nervous as we started to hear the screams and heard the, hear the cars on the tracks. And I'd said, mm-hmm. hey, guys, anytime you want, we can get out of line. We'll do it another day. It's okay. It's, it's, and they're like, no, we want to keep doing it. Well, we got to the ride. One of them screamed his head off. The other one was so terrified he was completely silent the whole ride. But they loved it. And at, at the end of the day, we wrote it again and again and again because there's something about fear that brings an intensity in the, to the moment that we can use to our advantage. That's so cool. So well said. So that's rule three. What's rule four? Uh, rule four, you know, I would, I would say as far as improv rules, that's probably it as far as, you know, okay. work, work as a team, say yes, contribute, and be okay with failing. And then, then there's a whole lot of smaller rules on how to do improv that, that we can get into it. It has to do with listening, right? The difference between truly listening and just hearing, right? When you're listening, okay. you're looking for offers, you're looking for opportunity. Let's go there. Okay. How do you listen? Like, how do you read your audience? Because uh, for anybody who communicates, mm-hmm. like for me, we, we actually had a really interesting discussion yesterday at our offsite retreat as we sort of plan the next year. And I pitched, you know, 20 series ideas to find five. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about syncing up our locations and I would love to do that. But then we were talking about, you know, well, maybe I could pre-record some of the messages and I can do it to the point where, you know, people wouldn't necessarily know that it was pre-recorded, but I can always tell because I'm reading off the crowd energy. I'm looking for, I always try to find the most cynical person in the room and preach to them. Uh Um, comedy works best when you get feedback from an audience, yeah. right? And yeah. so it's that final je ne sais quoi, it's that last 5% that to me makes all the difference. Yep. And to me, 100%, that's reading an audience. It it's is. like whenever I speak somewhere else, it's like, can you put the house lights up? Because I want to be able to see people's eyes. I want to track their body movement. Yep. So um, I know for me, and, and that's true with meetings, that's true with employees. That's why, you know, this is an audio podcast, but you and I are on a video call. I want to be able to track with you. I be, I want to be able to anticipate where you're going and then we're just going to rip the audio off after for the podcast. But so tell me all about listening. I want to know. What are you listening for? Uh, what, what is, Mm -hmm. why are you listening? Are, is listening for you waiting for the other person to finish talking so that you can say another one of your great ideas? Uh, Mm -hmm. or, 
are you listening for offers? In improv, you're listening for offers. An offer is an opportunity to move the scene forward. The first offer comes from the audience, right? What's, a, what's an odd reason to get fired from your first job? Being on time, all right? So uh, now we're doing, that's the first offer from the audience. And now, as we build idea on top of idea to create the scene, like we did with Yes And, we're listening for offers from each other, right? I'm listening for ideas that I can support and build on. Even if you're one of the guys that's not currently in the scene, but you're on the sideline watching and listening, right? You're not playing with your phone. You're, a, a big idea in improv is be present, right? You must be hmm. engaged in the scene at all times for you to truly be a part of it and be a support of it. Because maybe at some point in the scene, I'll say, well, Mr. Johnson should be here any minute with our cheese delivery, right? If I'm on right. the sidelines, I know that I now need to come in as Mr. Johnson with the cheese delivery. And maybe at other points in the scene, they've said, hey, watch out for Mr. Johnson. He always tries to charge you extra for Limburger, right? If I'm not <laughs> listening and I haven't That's heard funny. that, I'm going to blow that, right? But the audience yeah. catches that. So listen for offers, listen, listen for opportunities to move forward. Don't just wait for other people to start stop talking so that you can put in your next great idea. Listen for ways to build support and create some momentum. You, know, mm. you look at that as a leader too. Are you are you present as a leader, right? Are you engaged in your team? So in a staff meeting, are you really there and listening or are you just doing time in the meeting because it's what a leader should do? Are you looking for offers from your staff? Because they probably have some great ideas. And so are you playing with that yes and mentality where I'm listening for good ideas and opportunities to move this church or move this business forward, right? Am I present in that? What do you think keeps people from listening? Like if you're on stage, what makes you not listen? Um, when I'm not listening on stage, it's because I'm preconceiving. I know mm-hmm. where I want this, the scene to go. Uh, I think I have some very valid and funny ideas to move the scene forward. And so I'm looking for ways to get my ideas in instead of letting it happen, happen naturally and allow you to be a part of it. Okay. So – that's me in a meeting. I'm always thinking about what's next. Yeah. I mean, if you look at strength finders, I'm a futurist. So sure. a lot of us are really formulating our next move. Yeah. So walk me through that. If you're not doing that, if you're not preconceiving, as you said, are you funnier when the line comes to you and they throw to you? Like, how do you then in that moment come up with where to go? If you are so engrossed, you're not pre-thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's the beauty of the spontaneity and the, the organic nature of improv, you might not get to your line, but because you Mm -hmm. know how improv works, it's going to be great. So uh, here's another thing, and I'll just mention this briefly, but there is a a framework to improv. So there are steps we take. Whenever we create a scene, we start with environment. Are we in a forest? Are we in a factory? Are we in a barbershop? The next thing is we bring in characters, right? Are you and I father and son? Are we coworkers? Are we a, a gorilla and its trainer? The next thing that we do is we've got the environment, the context of the scene, we've got our characters. Now we find conflict, right? In improv, you mm-hmm. want to get into trouble. No audience wants to watch two people just sit and have a conversation with each other. Something needs to happen right. in the scene. So get into trouble. Next is raise the stakes, make it bigger, make it better, right? The conflict is we're out of milk. Raising the stakes is 
uh, it's time to feed the baby and all the stores are closed, right? Um, right? So we make it bigger and then we resolve it. That's the framework of improv. So what I'm in an improv scene, I'm listening. I, I, being present means I know what's already happened. I've been listening. Right. I know where we are currently and I know what needs to happen next. So as a leader, uh, that's the idea that we need to have. Instead of how am I going to get my great idea in, I know that in this meeting, I know where where we are as a company, where we've come from, or as a church. Mm-hmm. Here's where we are now. And I also know, and hopefully my team knows, here's what needs to happen next. We need to go here. We need to move here. And then in that, you're listing for offers to make that happen. It might be you that puts the offer out. It might be someone else. And then you have that yes and perspective when someone has an idea. Yes, that's a great idea. And let's see if that can work. And you talk about it together and, and maybe you throw it out. That's really good. I'm listening to this through two filters, my leadership filter, but also my communicator filter. So I get that in leadership. You validate that. But when you just went through that basic plot line, okay, we start with the context and then we look at characters and then, you know, the plot, you're right. Like every single story, every movie starts that way. Things are great at the beginning. Then something goes terribly wrong there's conflict, and then you're looking for a hero or resolution, yeah. right? Which is the basic plot line of every story ever written because it's the biblical plot line. Right. It's our story. Yeah, Is that true in communication as well? I mean, that is yes. one of the models I use for preaching. It's like you describe a problem and then you make it worse and people think, oh my goodness, how are you ever going to get out yeah. of this? And then, you know, you finagle your way out of it and away you go. Right. Like, t- t- what, what lessons are there for communicators in that basic yeah. plot structure? And, and that's, the, that's the beauty of improv. Improv is less about jokes and more about story. Really? You're creating okay. a story. Yeah, you know, stand-ups, stand-up comedy is, is more about jokes. And I'm not belittling stand-up comedy. I love stand-up comedy. Right. But it's just a different format, right? It's, it's more creating a series of jokes that can tell a story too, but, but often the jokes stand alone. Improv mm-hmm. is creating a scene where you're, you're taking someone on a journey with you. Uh, and the beauty of it is that it's happening before your eyes and you're relating to the audience. We also like the lights up more so than a stand-up comedian would on the audience. because you do, right? We absolutely do because we're adjusting our performance in the middle of the performance as the great thing about a comedian and the scary thing is you get immediate feedback on whether you were successful or unsuccessful. Hey, they laughed mm-hmm. at that. Oh, all I hear is crickets. That was a bet. You know, they did not laugh at that. Right. And so right. in improv, we'll often have, you know, I'll plan out what improv games we're going to do in a show. And I'll also have um, kind of a, a choice number two or choice number three in a few different spots where, you know, if I'm, if I'm leaving the show, according to how the audience is responding, we're going to scrap this physical comedy game and go with more of this witty game because the audience is really into wit in this particular hmm. area. And so we change as we go. What do you do if something's bombing? I mean, that's every communicator's nightmare, yes. right? It's like nobody, nobody is laughing. Nobody's engaging. Yep. What are what are some devices that you because I'm sure you've had that. Sure. What do you do there, to get out of you that? Know, there are there are some different tricks we have. If a scene stalls and you end up just staring at each other and the momentum is stopped, um, you know, change emotion, uh, do something with your hands, be okay with silence. Silence sometimes just does well to build the tension more. Um, okay. And so there are some little tricks you do, but there's also a term in improv we have. Uh, it's a horrible term, but it's called kill the puppy. Uh, you know, a puppy <laughs> is a cute, wonderful thing, and no one wants to kill a puppy. Um, right. In improv, uh, 
you have created this scene. It's your baby. And the right. last thing that you want to do is stop the scene and move on. You want to save it. You want to rescue it, just like a puppy, right? Um, mm-hmm. When a scene is failing, sometimes you just have to get out and move on. And yep. the audience is going to remember, cut your losses. Yep. The audience is going to remember less that you stopped and moved on to something great. Uh, that's going to be less, I guess, offensive to them than if you drag it out and it fails and fails and fails. And beginning improv art, artists, uh, one of their hardest things to learn is when to get out of a, a scene. So how do you get out of that? Like, do you just, do you just stop or do you say, well, clearly that didn't work or what, what do you say? Sometimes we say clearly that didn't work and we move on and the audience right. loves that authenticity and that vulnerability. Uh, and you tried, right? Um, more often you try to find a way in the scene and it just been, ends up being really short. You draw it to a quick conclusion. You get a little bit of a laugh or maybe a courtesy laugh, which I would rather be poked in the eye by a fork, but you know, sometimes you get a, a courtesy <laughs> laugh and then you quickly move on to something great. Um, because you're not, if you know how to do improv, you're not going to fail all the time. It might come, but it's more important that you move on to something better and greater and you will hmm. do that, but you've got to kill the puppy and get out sometimes. That's good to know. Yeah. Sometimes I always say when I'm coaching communicators, it's like the only person who knows what you were going to say is you. Yes. So if you forget, don't worry about it. Only you knew you were going to cover it. And if it's not working, move on. Nobody knew you intended to spend five minutes on this. You could spend 30 seconds on it. It's going nowhere. Just move on. Nobody knows. Yep. You know, and, and, and don't play should have said, you know, it's very easy because, because improv acting is not scripted. After the show, you can go back to a scene and taking time, you can think back to every line you said. And yes, there's chances are that you can think of a funnier or better line for that moment. But it took you 10 minutes to do that instead of three seconds in the middle of the scene. And you have to remember what improv is. One of the most exciting and fun to watch parts of improv is the fact that you're creating in the moment. And it's all about risk and stepping past fear and going for it. The audience loves that more as much as the great comedy. So at the end of a show, don't play, I should have said this. And same, you know, in a communicator, uh, you will have said some great things and you can, you can critique yourself after and say, wow, this would have been better, but celebrate the wins that you had and don't play should have said. That's good to know. Okay. We talked a lot about improv, but I mean, you're somebody who really spends most of your life making people laugh. Right. What about some other rules for comedy? Mm -hmm. Like what, what works in comedy? What doesn't work? Because I think most of us who communicate, you know, I don't want to be a stand-up comedian, but I think one of the quickest ways to create a bond Uh with your audience is to relax them and just share a laugh or something like that. It just kind of diffuses tension puts us all on the same page, and then you can often deliver, you know, boom, a big truth yep. after that. Yep. So here's how comedy works. Comedy, the best comedy relates to the most amount of people in the room. So you okay. have to know your audience, and that's, you know, that's why we're lights up in an improv show. We want to see how you're responding. Uh, you know, if, if a comedian is doing airplane jokes, it's way funnier right. to you if you travel often, like you and I do, than if you've never right. been on a plane before. The simple reason is you relate more to those jokes, and that is a part of your totally. life that you understand. So uh, when you use humor as a communicator or as a leader, make sure it's relating to the audience. Don't just take a joke or a story that you think is funny and apply it 
to any audience there. Make sure that it relates to the audience. Um, and the, with that, be personable. So many times uh, you see a pastor, a communicator, they're trying to be someone else on stage, right? They're trying to be their favorite comedian or they're trying to be uh, a humorous speaker or writer. Right. Uh, but it's, it's not them and it's not funny. My own pastor uh, would be a horrible stand-up comedian. He's a, he's a, a dry <laughs> guy. But our congregation laughs at some of his stuff because of who he is, because we right. know him, because we have a relationship with him and his type of humor his type of humor, though it would be horrible in the broad spectrum, is funny to us because we love and know him. Gotcha. So, yeah. so be personal. And most people are, this, this, this gets me to, most people are cheering for you. Yes. Like they want you to succeed. And I think often I can convince myself that nobody's cheering for me or they're sitting there with their arms crossed going, you know, show me, man. Yeah. Are you any good at this stuff? Yep. And like, but most people actually want you to win. Yeah, well, you know, we have. A, I, I teach a workshop called Stage Whispering, a professional comedian's um, manual on how to win on the stage, and and that's one of the things you you teach is the audience wants you to win. No one comes to a comedy show, a church service, uh, a, a business event, thinking, "Man, I hope this guy's terrible." I, I really could use some sleep. I hope this guy puts me to sleep. We come expecting you to do well and we're on your side. And, and so as a communicator, understand, and especially if you have a relationship already, you're not the new speaker, but you're the pastor of the church. Man, do they want you to succeed. And, and there is some grace there that they will give you if you're willing to step out and, and lead from the stage. That's a good point. So um, that's one rule. Yep. You know, you want broad application. What are some other tips for just connecting with your audience? Relate and be personal. And then the other thing to, to understand is that comedy comes in the break from routine. It comes, okay. it comes in the twist, right? So hmm. uh, one of my daughter's favorite jokes is a little girl. When she was three, she came up on stage and she told this joke, where's the best place to keep your army? Up your sleeve. <laughs> Right? right, it's a right. dumb little joke, but it's it's a twist, right? Because we're all thinking uh -huh. armies and military, but the answer is up your sleevey. So it's it's the twist that's in comedy, right? Every movie, right. every play, uh, the if it's a tragedy, something horrible happens in the break from routine. If it's a comedy, something right. hilarious happens in the break from routine. And so that's what comedy is. You look at you look at great comedians like Jim Gaffigan, who talks a lot about food, right? And he talks about the shame and guilt. Um, associated with eating at McDonald's. And then, he, yep. and then he says, but honestly, has your mother any ever made anything as good as a McDonald's fry, right? It's that break. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, like, oh, right? It relates, but it's this break. We're like, it's true. It's true. Right? Yep, and, it's and true. So you're, We're all guilty. Yeah. And so your, your comedy is looking at life and saying, here is routine. Here is normal. And then comedy is in the break from routine. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's all those little details too, right? It's, it's the McDonald's fries we've all had. Seinfeld was famous for pointing out like, you know, the loud talker, because right. we all know loud talkers, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, all those things that you sort of observational humor can be very, very effective. Yep. And knowing, are you talking to insurance brokers or are you talking to pastors? Are you talking to, yeah. is it a women's ministry conference or is it a high school conference? You know, we will, uh, we are okay doing jokes at a women's ministry conference that we would never do at a high school, a junior high conference, right? Because, because of mm -hmm. the audience. And I'm, I'm not talking about dirty or clean humor. I'm just talking about no, things no. that relate to it's them. It's context. It's context. Yeah. It's context. Yeah. 
And I also find self-deprecating stories. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I have lots of them. <laughs> but um, if you start with self-deprecating story, it, it, it really works. What does that do when you're self-deprecating as a communicator? Like, what are the principles underneath that? Yeah, an and Im, imperfect audience relates to your vulnerability. Uh, hmm. You know, all of us have had, I mean, my first date, I wrecked my dad's car and covered my date in cow manure. Uh, that was, <laughs> well, that's a win. Yeah, right? Yeah, I did not marry that. How did you do that? <laughs> well, um, so <laughs> it was my very first date. Uh, I took this girl out. My dad said I could use his car. It was a, a fairly new Mazda 626 or Mazda 626. Ooh. We went to Red Robin. It was a great dinner. We played miniature golf. She won. It was perfect. On the way home, we had noticed on the way down that there was road construction and, and it had slowed us way down. And so on the way home, I was going to be this great leader, this impressive date, and I, I was going to go around the detour. So I turned left off the main road and I was going to go parallel to the road construction and come back, get her home on time for a curfew and, and be the hero of the day. As I turned, I missed the sign that said dead end. And so I was oh. traveling along and we live out in the country. I was traveling along this country road and suddenly all I saw in front of me was a fence, barbed wire, and about 50 head of cattle. And oh. we, I hit the brakes, but it, it did nothing because by that time we were in gravel. We went through the fence. The fence post snapped off, crashed <laughs> through the windshield between us. The barbed wire scraped <laughs> up and over my dad's car and about 50 cattle <laughs> out of the way, right? Well, if, if you know anything about farms, where the cows congregate and where the, the farmer dumps their hay and their feed, they spend a lot of time there. So there's going to be a lot of manure on the ground. And so I got out and, you know, to, to pull the fence post out of the windshield. And uh, I noticed that I was about ankle deep in manure. And so we got everything cleaned up. I got back in, tried to back up. My dad's front wheel drive car just spun, 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 spun. Well, I'm not going to ask my 16-year-old date to get out in ankle deep manure. And so I say, hey, you slide over and back us out and I'm going to push from the front. She says, no, I can't drive a stick shift. And so we argued back and forth. She was, for some reason, really shook up. Uh, and so she says, I'll push. And she gets out and she walks oh. around the front of the car in ankle deep manure. And, and I start to back out. So I'm watching, you know, as, as the tires spin, I'm watching my dad's headlights as manure sprays up onto her clothes, <laughs> onto her face, into her hair. And then finally, as she's pushing, the tires catch the gravel. And you know what happens when your tires catch? The car suddenly lurched backward and she went down into the manure. It was, it was this horrible thing. And then we had to drive home and, and it was this silent ride home except for the car rush or the wind rushing through the giant hole in the car windshield. Uh, she stunk like manure. I was completely clean except for my shoes. But uh, good news <laughs> is I got her home on time. Bad news is there was not a second date and I did not. Yeah, yeah. I would think there wouldn't be. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it was not. Wow. See, stories like that just instantly connect, don't they? They do. And, you know, that's, that's one key that communicators should know is tell stories, not jokes. Uh, leave mm. the jokes to the comedians. So much of a joke is knowing the audience, is delivery, is timing, and all the things that comedians spend their careers getting right. Uh, mm. But your stories are your own. And there are parts of your life, whether it's funny, whether it's tra tragic, uh, that will relate to your audience. And they can be humorous. So if you're going to use humor as you communicate, use stories, don't use jokes.
That's a really good tip. Hey, who are you listening to these days as far as comedians go? Like, who do you think? And this could be in the church space, the comedy space, the business space. Like, who's funny? Sure. And just for people that leaders could follow. You know, I love the clean guys. I think it's a lot more difficult and a lot more rewarding to do clean comedy. And some of my favorite clean artists are Jim Gaffigan and Brian Regan as as far as uh, what you'd consider secular. In the church space, you know, Tim Hawkins and Michael Jr. are some great guys on your side of the border in Canada. Canada. Uh, Leland Clausen is a veteran who's a hilarious guy. So is Matt Falk, okay. uh, who's a younger guy that's coming up. Taylor Tomlinson is a young woman who was actually at the ministry conference that you and I were at in Seattle. And man, she's okay. funny. She did a great job. She was opening for Tim Hawkins while we were there. Um, yeah. You know, as far as communicators who aren't comedians per se, uh, John Acuff is a guy I love. He's our, I was oh. going to say he's our common friend, but uh, you have he a is. relationship with him. I have a restraining order. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> John's hilarious. He's a neat guy. Yeah, he's, and he works really, really hard. That guy hustles. He does. I mean, you know, in yeah, fact, he does. I just, he works I just hard took his 30 days of hustle uh, last month and man, it, it really, really helped. There's some great stuff there. I, I think oh, that's, that's why good I, to know. I feel like I know him because, you know, through the different videos and, and material he had there, you, you get to know the guy, you get to know what works. And it, it was a great, uh, a great way to learn how to hustle. He's the reason that uh, I get arrested for trespassing every time I'm in the Nashville area, but I'm going to meet you guys someday. <laughs> you will, Andrew. I you will. enjoy hanging out with you. I know that. Yeah. Oh, great. Th- those are some good names. We'll link to everybody in the show great. notes. So this is going to be a rich show notes. So that's going to be, that's going to be great. Andrew, anything else you want to share with us about comedy or improv? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, we're going to link to a lot of great stuff in the show notes. I'll also link to something called a story spine that tells you how to create great stories. That's the spine of oh. every play, every movie, every novel. Uh, communicators can use it. If you're going to do a testimony or train staff on how to give their testimony, here's how to relate story to an audience. And so I'll, I'll give you that so you can link to it. Um, to, you know, I know that a lot of your leaders are pastors. And I would say to those pastors – Use comedy in your church. Um, And I'm not saying just use it yourself when you communicate, but create opportunities for your your church family and your church staff to laugh together. It might, it might sound like a, a shameless plug because I'm a comedian. I'm not saying bring in the panic squad. There are tons of great clean comedians out there, but I am a big fan of laughing together. Laughter breeds relationship. When you watch something alone, you laugh, but when you watch the same thing with others, you laugh harder because laughter begs to be shared. Walls come down when you're laughing. Relationship happens when you're laughing. So man, if you are a church who cares about about changing your community, who change, cares about changing the lives uh, of the people in your city and in your congregation, use comedy, get them laughing and, and teach truth through comedy. It is, it is such an amazing tool that the church has. No, I think that's so good. And you know what? I still think, particularly if you're, well, first of all, Christians don't expect you to be funny. But secondly, um, unchurched people just don't expect that from church. Right. And, you know, in a church like ours, we, we try to have at least a moment in every service where it kind of breaks down the walls and people get a good laugh. Yep. Um, whether that can be in the message, it can be in the welcome, it can be just people don't expect to have fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think God probably created humor. Yeah. You know, Ab- I would, I would give him that one. Absolutely. You know, one of, That's our, great. one of my favorite emails uh, was from a guy. We had done a, a yearly outreach at this church, uh, actually in Canada on Vancouver Island. And the guy's mm. email was pretty short. He said, Christmas, Easter, you guys, those are the times I come to church. And I thought, man, that's neat. 
That's neat. I wish he would go to wow. church more, but I'm glad he's coming. Christmas, Easter, you guys. That's a, that's a good word. That's a good word. Yep. Andrew, I know leaders are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to find out more about what you do. Give us uh, a couple of websites to find your stuff so that we can track with you and, and your social media handles as well so that we can keep up with you personally. Sure. Uh, PanicSquad.com is the improv team that I manage and act with. There's a lot of great stuff there. I'm really excited about um, a new website, andrewbright.me. Dot M-E. Uh, okay. It's a blog that I've launched recently where I'm writing and blogging about how improv relates to leadership. So the, a lot of the ideas that you and I oh, talked about today great. are in that. Uh, and I actually, I just finished a book that it's about 100 pages long and it's, it's called Improv Leadership. And it's, it's about leaders using improv to really lead their team. See, is that available right now? It is. A, yeah. You know what? Why don't we make a special deal for your audience as well? Uh, Great. Go to my website and I'll have a little coupon. Type in Carrie is cool and I'll make sure I give you a, <laughs> a good discount on getting that and maybe throw in some, some other fun things. So That's the only time that that phrase will ever be used. <laughs> well, Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, by the way, listeners, is cool. Okay. So that's great. That's andrewbright.me Bright. and then use the coupon code. Uh, Carrie is cool. I guess, you know, it was funny because I was going to say to you either at the end of this interview or like right after we got off the air, I was going to be, man, have you written this in a book or like, is this in a book? This needs to be a book. And it is. I'm glad to see it is. It is. That's incredible. All about fear, all about, you know, creating an amazing performance. And, and, uh, it's, there's some great stuff in there that I'm excited to share. It's come from years of teaching this to, to churches and corporations across the U S and Canada. And I was going to say, if, if there's a leadership organization that wanted to hire you to do that, they could do that. Absolutely. Yep. We do. Okay. From cool. Short hour and a half to full day workshops. That's amazing. Andrew, this has been a lot of fun and a surprisingly perceptive leadership, like really, really sharp. You made a lot of people better today. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity, Carrie. Love your work too. Well, that was a lot of fun with Andrew, man. And I'm on his side. Hey, you know, it is just super cool. After we met, he decided to write a book. So like in the last four or five months, he wrote this book and it's just been a huge milestone for him. Probably, honestly, my favorite thing of the podcast, I'd say, well, two favorite things. Number one, talking to you, the listener, when we get a chance to connect. But secondly, there are numerous guests who have seen this as just an opportunity um, to do what they do, but maybe take it to the next level. And I won't name names all the time, but like I'm getting emails from former guests who are like, wow, I decided to write a book or got my first book deal or others who have just grown their ministry. Uh, and, and it's so rewarding. So Andrew, congratulations, man. You did what so many people want to do. Everybody wants to write something, but you actually did it. And remember, we've got stacked show notes. So go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 102, read Andrew's post. You can get all the information, including where to buy his new book, et cetera, et cetera. So really exciting. And um, I'm not very good at improv. That's another thing I learned. But <laughs> that's, that's fear, right? That's the fear talking. Hey, we are back next week with Gavin Adams from Woodstock City Church. So excited. One of the best parts of these interviews is when they go off script. And we actually just started there for 30 minutes. It was, it was an incredible conversation with Gavin. Uh, I'm going to give you, because uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, I really think you should. So I'm going to give you like a little bit of the lineup coming up in the next few weeks. We got Gavin Adams from Woodstock City Church, church of about 8,500. Casey Graham is back on the podcast talking about his sale of the Rocket Company 
and a really strange subject that I so wanted to do with him, and that's coming up in two weeks. Dan Ryland, the executive pastor to end all executive pastors, is my guest a few weeks from now. Kara Powell is back with a brand new book. And the insights in that are incredible. We've got Tony Morgan coming up. He's back on the podcast. And then in October, Chuck Swindoll. Chuck's team actually reached out. Chuck has got an amazing book coming out and said, hey, can we do an interview? I'm like, let me think about that. Uh, Yes. So anyway, if you subscribe, you get all that stuff and it's delivered to your inbox every Tuesday for free. How about that? Hey, man, this has been a lot of fun. I really do hope that today's episode has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.